Good morning, church. And we are still on our book study on Joshua. And today we are on chapter 9. Our title for today is Deception and Grace. Here's our outline for the day. Joshua chapter 9 will show us two choices, three dangers, and a single one hope. But before we get into the two, three, and one outline, let's do a quick review of what we have learned so far from the recent chapters. Let's look at what we have observed. This table shows us two previous chapters. In Joshua chapter 7, Israel broke faith. They disobeyed what God had clearly commanded and instructed, and thus they experienced God's promised consequence of their disobedience. They were defeated at Ai, and they had a heart. They gained, their hearts became insecure and uncertain. It said their hearts melted and became like water. And they experienced a big, big time of loss, loss of soldiers, loss of people, and the loss of Achan and his family as well. This is what Joshua taught us in chapter 7. But in Joshua chapter 8, we saw that they returned to the Lord. The Lord strengthened them and gave them new commands and new instructions on what to do and how to attack I. What would Israel choose this time? And we discovered last week, thankfully, they chose to obey God's command and instructions. And thus, the result was different. They experienced God's promise, victory, and blessing instead. We read that they have victory over I. And what, what, what heart did they gain? They gained a heart of awe. They gained a heart of confidence. It became a time of giving instead of loss. They gave back to God. They gave offerings. They gave fellowship offerings, sacrificial offerings. And they gave back their commitment and covenant to God, saying, Lord, we are committing ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you anew. So early on, we see that there's a reality. There's a reality that God was establishing for his people. The reality of two choices. Two choices. Let's read in Joshua chapter 8, last week's chapter, what it says. And afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. And what was this law? What was this all? What was this blessing and curse that Joshua read to the people at the end of Joshua chapter 8? It did not specify. But let's turn back our Bibles to see that which law he was reading. A part of this law was Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. This was Moses speaking. The blessing, if you obey the commandment of the Lord, your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you disobey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. It was in this book of Deuteronomy that the laws were established. God spoke through Moses to establish clear choices for his people. 
It was either you chose to turn to God or you chose to turn to other gods. It was one or two, A or B, black or white. And it was such an appropriate time for Joshua to go back to these mosaic laws, these laws of Moses, because they had just experienced a stark contrast of A and B, black and white, right or left, God or others. Where did we see that? We see that in two chapters that preceded chapter 9. Chapter 7 was a sign of disobedience and curse. If you disobey God's ways, if you disobey God's laws, there is defeat, there is calamity, there is loss. On the other hand, chapter 8 showed us the clear contrast to chapter 7, where if God says something and you follow it with all your heart, adhere to it, you will experience victory, gaining, receiving, and you're able to give back because of abundance. Your heart is confidence. Your heart is secure. So it was a black and white. It was two choices that was clear from Deuteronomy until Joshua. And Joshua was reiterating this principle to God's people. Obedience to God yields blessing. Disobedience yields consequences. It was as simple as two choices. Obey or disobey. We've heard this ever since we were children. It's simple, right? But is it really that simple? To illustrate, look at this picture. This picture in Filipino says, do not pee here. Do not urinate here. And we see a person urinating there. Why? Why does it often happen this way? It says, don't look, we are getting more curious, and then we look. This is what you shouldn't do, and this is what we attempt to do. This is what they tell us to not do, this is what we desire to do. Our desires are constantly at war within us, against the laws, against what is right, against choices, even if it's just A or B, and you know A is the better choice, we constantly feel drawn to B. So two choices, even if they're just two, 50-50% chance, we fail most, if not more often. Why is it so difficult for us as people, even God's people, to do as we're told, to follow another person? Why is it so hard for people to follow clearly given commands? Do not touch, do not eat. Look, let's look at the story for now as we try to answer those conflicting questions. But before we can discuss it, we have to do a flashback of why God's people was so conflicted. Let's look at Exodus chapter 23. It says here, For I will give you the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. One of the things that God explicitly com commands his people is that 
in his law, you are not allowed as his people to be covenanted, committed, teamed up with, paired along with any other nation, any other race, any other people. And this is very clear as we will read in Exodus and Deuteronomy. It says that if you do this, it will surely be a trap to you. This is very clear. It repeats in Exodus chapter 34. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Listen to this. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim, for you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Tear down, destroy, drive out, devote to destruction, cut down. And most of all, do not make a covenant with them, for they will become a trap to you and your people and your hearts. Lastly, the most recent uh, reiteration of this command was in Deuteronomy, which was nearer to the book of Joshua, to the time of Joshua. It says here, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgasites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, pay attention now, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall not make a covenant with them and show no mercy to them. No exceptions, no ifs, ands, or buts. It was clear. Exodus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, it's all over God's law is a choice, clear, yes, no, 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 no. Everything was a no in terms of making a covenant because God knew in his sovereign wisdom, this will become snares and traps to his people when they unite themselves to other people who do not serve him. All the nations that they encounter must be completely destroyed, complete destruction including the Hivites, the Hivites. And we can see clearly one of the most important principles in God's kingdom is to be set apart. You are to set yourself apart to be distinct from other people. You are not to be mingled with what is not. And this is a no-no for them to make a covenant. He says that if you make a covenant with others, Para kang naglagay ng pampahirap ng buhay. Para kang naglagay ng maraming mousetrap sa bahay mo, pero ikaw mismo hindi ka na makalakad. Ikaw mismo matatrap. These were the very laws that Joshua just read in Joshua chapter 8 after defeating I to the people. He was reminding them of the what's and what nots. He was reminding of, of the do nots and do's. 
And it was very clear. They just read what we just read. It was the blessing and the curse. The obedience, obey this. And if you disobey this, lagot. Clear. So let's turn to our story today. That was the flashback. Let's turn to our story today. Joshua chapter 9, let's begin. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowland, heard of this, they heard of the victory of Israelites over Ai, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. What did they do next? And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. So now make a covenant with us. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? The Gibeonites said, From a very distant country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan who lived in Asheroth. What did they say? So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country, this is the Gibeonites saying, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. What would the Israelites do? What do you think they would do? Clear, they just read the law. They just celebrated victory, seeing how clearly if you obey God, you will succeed. If you disobey, you will be destroyed even by a tiny city of Ai. What would they do? Bawal umihi dito, iihi basila. Yes, umihi sila. So the Israelites took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to the Gibeonites. That was a long story. But if you did not catch it, here's the summary. All enemies in the surrounding region of Ai was terrified of Israel. They have heard of how they flowed through their enemies and they were a mighty country. Not because of their armies, but because God, something, someone was different about Israel. So they teamed up, all except the Gibeonites, which was, ding, 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 the Hivites, one of the people that God promised he will give into their hand and say that you should not spare them if you enter and conquer their land. The Gibeonites were the Hivites that Moses was mentioning. And so what the Gibeonites did upon this time was that they disguised themselves. Though they were just tagakabilang street lang sila, tagakabilang probinsya lang, they tore their clothes, wore worn out things. Even their animals were wearing worn out things. Their wineskins, their water jugs were 
also very worn out because props lang yun. They wanted to come and show Joshua that look, look at our provisions. They're all dry. We've come from a distant journey so that we can come to you because we have heard of your God. So they were lying. They were lying to Joshua. And the Israelites took their provisions. Tinesting nila, chinek nila. But it says they did not ask counsel from the Lord. So what did they do? It ended up being the same. Two choices. They chose the wrong choice. They made a covenant with them. The leaders, the elders of the Israelites swore that we will let you live. What was the command? Tear down, destroy, completely destruct, break down, show no mercy. What was the reality? We commit ourselves to you. You will be friends with us forever. My forever sa ating dalawa. Obedience and blessing. Disobedience and curse. Why do people struggle to choose? Why do we struggle to make the right choice even if there's just two choices that are given to us? Kakain ba ako ng junk food o kakain ako ng healthy food? O sige, junk food na lang. So our story sets us up to encounter the reality that people are prone to make the wrong choice. They are prone to be deceived. They are prone to be led away. So we encounter the second point from our outlines, the three dangers. Let's look at some dangers, which three, as to why we are constantly deceived in how we choose to live life. To explain the three dangers, allow me to illustrate three kinds of persons. First person. This person probably has gone through a lot. He experienced a lot in life. He's gone through what many people have not gone through. So people come to hear and come to ask and come to, to know. And when this happens, this person tends to talk a lot about how she, he did things, how he went through this, how he went through that. And also, when he finds himself in familiar situations, he says to himself, oh, I know this. I've been through this. Let's just make this decision as I did before. And this is the first danger. This first kind of person is easily deceived by his own experience. We trust in our experience. I've gone through this. We trust in our instincts. Ah, alam ko na to, nagawa ko na to. Pagdaanan ko na to dati, I can make a good decision here. We trust that we've been here before. I've assessed my options. I already know what I should do. Therefore, I have the answer. We are deceived by our own experiences. Because we have a weight of experiences, we rely on it. A second person is probably an avid learner. This person is probably passionate about studying ever since. So it's easy for this person to read, to learn, to, to analyze, to study, to extract, to, to know new things. Studious. This is the studious type of person. This person knows a lot about most things and most topics in life. They're brilliant and they know a lot more than 
a lot of others. And because his brilliance has generally worked well in all things across all of his life so far, he tends to go and rely on that. He relies on his brilliance to carry him through through every decision, every doorstep, every Y, y fork in the road. He always trusts in how his brilliance informs him. This is the second danger for us. We tend to be deceived by our own expertise. Ah, nabasa ko na yan. Ah, naaral ko na yan. Ah, narinig ko na yan. Ah, pinasa sa akin yan sa Viber. Ah, na Bible study ko na yan. We trust in what we know. We trust in what we understand. We trust in what we have ideas on. We are deceived by us, by our own expertise. Third type of person. The third type of person is probably he grew up in a Christian family. He grew up in church. He's been a good kid. He's learned all the Sunday school stories. He's heard and memorized all the memory verses. He probably volunteers in his community service um, agendas. He loves his family. And because he has been very religious, he trusts in all that he knows about religion, thinking that he has all the right answers for life. And so this person makes every decision, even for other people, because you rely on your spiritual knowledge. Because I know God, I can help him. Because I know what God wants, I can make decisions for Him. So there is also a tendency for this. We are deceived by our very own religiosity. We play God because we know Him. We think we can be Him to others, to ourselves. When faced with decisions, when faced in moments of discernment, we trust in knowledge and not in God. We are deceived even by our knowledge of God. You see, deception is a misplaced trust. And this is what we see happen to Joshua and the Israelites in chapter 9. They misplaced their trust not on God, which what? which was what they were commanded to do. They were commanded to trust God in all his ways and seek his counsel as if a friend talks to a leader, a slave talks to a master. But they thought they had mastered the law. They had just read it in front of the whole assembly. Ah, we know this. We know. Just test it. We know. And they were deceived. So church, this must not surprise us. This is the very modus operandi of sin and Satan, our enemy. You see, sin in us is most deceptive. Sin in others, we clearly see. But sin in us is most deceptive. James chapter 1, verse 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured. He is led. He is enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
The enemy, the serpent of old, was called the deceiver in Revelations chapter 12, verse 9. We remember how he deceived Eve in the garden. This is what he does. He leads you to believe that to trust this instead of this. The enemies know, the enemy knows that our desires can be easily led, can be easily lured, can be easily enticed and blinded. So he uses sin to lead us to have trust issues with God. We trust in our own desires, our own discernment, our own expertise, our own religiosity to make wise decisions. So our perspective is flawed. What we see as good, we choose instead of asking, consulting, seeking the counsel of God before we determine what is good or not. What we think is good is good already uh, because my brilliance thinks it's good and I know God, therefore that should be good. We trust in ourselves more than we trust in God. We trust that we are enough already because I've gone through a lot with God. I've studied a lot about God. I've attended to God a lot. Therefore, I can be trusted to make a good life. This is what happened in Joshua chapter 9. They had just come from a big victory. Leaning and learning from their defeat, ah, alam na namin to. They immediately gained confidence. But this confidence, you see, was fickle. It exposes this because the narrator tells us that the Israelites did not ask counsel from the Lord. It was not necessarily the laws that will give them life. It was that the Lord was present with them, but they did not consult him. It was having the expert right beside them, but they're looking at the book and saying, okay, siguro na-review naman natin tong book na to, di ba? Alam na natin yung sagot. He's right there. He ignored them. What? They are deceived by themselves that they are experts, that they were experienced, that they were religious. We are a people of God. We can discern this. He was right here. Sin inflates our view of ourselves and deflates our view of God. So at this moment, we remember the warnings from Deuteronomy. Take care lest we turn aside to other gods. But often when we read of idolatry or turning to other gods, we think it's the gods of other religions. The ones on the wall with no life, maybe wooden images. Porcelain, some. But in reality, one way that the enemy deceives us is to think that those are the only gods we can be tempted to serve. But you see, the best deceiving gods are not the ones we can see. They are the ones that are inside us. We tend to turn away from God to serve the small g God that is ourselves, our expertise, our wisdom, our discernment. We think that we can trust in it. We think we can trust ourselves. 
church are you becoming too sure of yourself? You've used your lenses and your eyes and your wisdom and your experience to determine your situations and your reading of other people and life situations. You thought that your perceptions of life makes a full sense and you always bring it out when situations come and call for it. But do you bring out God with you? Do you hear from God before speaking on his behalf, telling your leaders to swear to these enemies? Do you actually consult God before you lead your family to make certain decisions? Have we trusted in ourselves because we studied a lot? We've been in church so much. You've always attended Sunday services but you've left the relational part, the actual part of consulting God, not like he's a book, not like he's a handbook to be mastered, but a master to enslave ourselves to. Are you actually trusting in God or have you turned aside to serve other gods that you did not know yourself? In Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, it reads, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Sometimes evil is ourselves. Your body then will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. It is when we trust God, when we do not trust ourselves, we do not assume ourselves to be God, to, to act like God. So we distrust ourselves and recognize we need a rescuer from our own expertise, from our own biases. It is only then that we will glow, we will vibrate with life. That's what the wisdom of Proverbs reminds us. So throughout the Bible, the counsel of the Lord mainly came through three means of grace. It was God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. As followers of God, we must seek to have these three means of grace through which God can lead us and counsel us. First, his word contains his character, his commands, his desires, and his plans. I ask you today, how can you expect to make godly decisions, godly discernments, if you do not immerse yourself deeply in his word? Maybe you've been serving what you thought was his word, but it was actually his word mixed with your desires. Second, God's people, the church, God's spirit says he dwells in and among his people. 
her church, how can you hear the counsel of God and seek his counsel if you refuse to be with God's people? Not just physically, not just, but, but actually emotionally being with them. Realistically bringing your consultations, your questions, your conflicts, your doubts to them. The question marks that remain unanswered in your life, do you bring it in front of God's people? Asking counsel for this, I'm going through this, please help me. Or do we keep it inside our jackets and say, yeah, I'm here in church. So are we seeking counsel for the issue here, even though we're physically present? Maybe we're realistically absent. Third, his spirit. The spirit, the Holy Spirit is called the teacher. He is the helper and he is the counselor. He counsels us. He leads us into all truth. How can you be led from lies if you do not walk by the spirit of truth? How can you learn to obey him if you keep on answering your own desires, satisfy, sa satisfying yourself instead of listening to the spirit? It says, do not quench the spirit, which tells us the spirit can be quenched. Pwede mo siyang itaboy. Have we been quenching this jan kalang alam ko bawal to pero gusto ko ng junk food alam ko bawal umihi dito narinig ko na to pero ihi tayo as god's people we must take care lest we turn away from god his counsel his guidance his help his teacher and assume that we know it all Assume that we can teach ourselves, we can teach others without God. This is a danger of deception. So we head to our last point. If we are so easily deceived, even with the most basic of choices, even if we're just, we've just read, we've just read the law of God, and God's people can be immediately deceived after that, paano na? Kung ganun tayo karupok, what is our hope? Wala na, ganun talaga eh. Mali-mali na. Si Lord na bahala. Ganun lang ba yun? Let's proceed to our verse. Joshua 9, 22-27. Joshua summoned them and he said to them, why did you deceive us saying we are very far from you when you actually dwell among us? Ka lang pala. Now therefore you are cursed and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And Joshua made that, them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Because he had already made a covenant with them not to kill them. To kill them was to violate the words that he made and vowed to this people. So he could not kill them anymore. What did he do? He made them servants. 
He made them drawers of water. He made them carpenters for their country. They had made a covenant with a people they were not supposed to. Despite that Israel disobeyed a clear and explicit command of God, how come God did not punish them as they deserved? Think about it. An enemy was so scared of them, they brought props just to deceive them. This enemy could be anything. They could have had laid an ambush on them at night, whatever. They were in their camp and they swore that they would not kill them. The enemy had the upper hand. How come the Lord did not allow the Gibeonites to have ill intent? Instead, spoiler alert for the next few chapters, the Gibeonites will be key, key allies that would fight for them, that would win battles with them in the next few chapters. What does this tell us? We'll talk about that in the next few weeks, but the other chapters. But what does this whole reality tell us? This chapter is not telling us that it's okay to disobey God and his commands. Nope. It's not, it's not telling us that all sins will turn, turn out well in time. In fact, you remember Achan's sin in immediate time did not turn out well for Achan. This also does not tell us that God determines all who belong to him are God's people. Yan eh, kaya okay lang. We'll be sure to have a good life regardless of the choices they make. It doesn't make us free to make stupid decisions because God is in control. But this does tell us that despite of our best efforts, Joshua had great, great efforts, no ill intent of deceiving himself. But despite of that, we, even God's people, will be deceived, especially by ourselves. But in this, we have hope. God's grace is more than sufficient. God's mercy is more than our mistakes. I'm getting this from a song. Our sins are so many, but God's mercy will always be more. Joshua and the Israelites illustrates to us that despite their best efforts, we will make foolish decisions. Maybe later you'll be making a foolish decision. Maybe tomorrow, maybe someday, soon, we will be deceived no matter how much we try to think of the best possible decision, we will make wrong decisions time and time again. And despite sometimes having the most simple decisions to make, should I do this and should I not, Holy Spirit, we will still make the wrong decision. This is our story. Joshua and the Israelites is us. So what matters now is what God shows us to be in the midst of a story of a people who are always making imperfect, failing, deceiving decisions, deceptive decisions. We are always being deceived by sin, by the world, by ourselves. What then is our hope? How does God look at such a people? How does God interact with such a people? Our hope as a people is that in our double foolishness, there is double grace. He shields us. 
He redeems our mistakes. One of my favorite songs go like this. What love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Church, our one hope is not that we learn to become perfect decision makers or perfect lives. Our one hope is not that we become better and wiser and more experienced with God. Our one hope is not that we have good leaders who will not lead us into deception. Our one hope is this. We will, and we already have, been deceived. And yet, despite of that, God is able to redeem and rescue us from our mistakes. His grace is plenty where our sins are many. His mercy is more where our sins are too many. His redemptive plans cannot be thwarted by our imperfect decisions. In fact, our wrong decisions, just like Joshua committing himself, committing the nation of Israel to the Gibeonites, can be used for our good. He used the Gibeonites to become their greatest ally for the next few battles. Why? Grace. Mercy. Did the Israelites deserve that outcome? No. Only by grace alone. Our future church is secure not because we are able to lead our lives perfectly. Though we will try, we will do our best to make good decisions. But our future is secure because we have a Savior who rescues us from our imperfect best efforts. He is able to use the mistakes we made for our good. He is that powerful. He rescues what falls apart, what's supposed to be destructive, he uses to rescue. We are prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love. This is also another song. And yet his goodness is our hope. So church, even in our purest decisions, we must confess that we will make wrong decisions. In our most purest and most prayerful moments, we will probably still make wrong decisions. We are prone to be deceived, but our hope is not in our making right decisions. Our hope must be in the God who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. This must not be a reason for us to be complacent, but it must invoke in us a heart of thanksgiving, of rescue, of buti na lang, Lord. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we have so trusted in ourselves and in doing so, we have turned to other gods. Not really idols of physical um, manifestation, but really the idols in our hearts, our wisdom, our brilliance, our experience, these have become our gods. We have turned away from you thinking that we are sufficient in ourselves. This has led us to be deceived time and time again. Though clearly in your word you tell us that there is a choice to either obey you 
or disobey you. Most often than not, we choose wrong. We choose the God of ourselves. So, Lord, we have no hope apart from an external hope that rescues us. We thank you that in Christ, this promised hope entered and dwells in us now as your people. You have given us also the Holy Spirit, who is a counselor, who leads us into truth and not into deception, who will help us until that day when you come home to us to bring us home to you. So Lord, as we wait for that day, keep us as good stewards of your message and of your laws, that we may yield blessing as we seek to obey you. But in moments that we don't, we ask for mercy. We ask for grace. We do not deserve it, but you have given it as we see it in your son dying on the cross. Thank you for what you have done for us. We pray that we will be wiser as we try to make better decisions in light of your laws, your spirit, and the counsel of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I pray that the word of the Lord has richly blessed you. Next week, we will be talking about Joshua chapter 10. See you then. Have a great weekend.